Hello and welcome to The Stinger, a super fan's guide to the latest in Marvel, Star Wars, and other nerd entertainment. Joining me today on the podcast, they both just finished, they, they both simultaneously just finished shredding guitar solos to Master of Puppets. It's John Battiston and Trent Neely. How we doing, guys? Uh, Eddie Munson forever. I'm doing great, you know? What, what a time to be alive, you know? I got blisters on my fingers. <laughs> That's not even quoting the right band, but it's whatever. <laughs> it's been that kind of day. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, man. Hey, I'm so glad we're all here. Full disclosure, Trent and John and I, uh, we've tried to record this episode for, this is now the third week in a row. Uh, there's some scheduling conflicts. Then I got COVID, and now we're finally here. Yes, we realized this show ended a month ago, but there's no better time than the present to get all of our thoughts out about it, guys. I'm I'm super looking forward to this. I think probably because it's been a month since you know I finished, or or maybe maybe like two to three weeks since I finished the show. <coughs> My thoughts have just been stirring. They've been stirring, they've been marinating, and I've just yeah. so because I haven't talked about it a lot. I knew we were gonna record, so I haven't talked about it a lot. So I'm I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Same here, yeah. Lots lots of stuff. I'm curious to see what you all thought because there seems to be some uh, some varied opinions about this season on the internet now that it's been a month out. Actually, um, I don't know how long this is gonna take us though. There wasn't that much content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, felt kind of short. I felt like they were holding back a little bit on the runtime. Yeah, what a jip. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing is how much time it took us all to watch this series. So I'm excited. This is, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast over the summer talking about Star Wars or talking about the MCU. Uh, we'll certainly get back to it, but I, th- this is this is a, a true joy to hop into a new world, to hop into Stranger Things. We I don't think we've talked about this show ever before in any of our podcasting endeavors, so like... That's pretty sweet. Um, so as always, thank you all for joining us for today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a rate and review. Um, today, we are here to talk about Stranger Things Season 4. All right, so as we always do, it's uh, it's time. Let's hop into the discussion. So let's uh, slip on the Jedi robes and... Enter the council chamber and discuss everything we liked or we didn't like about Stranger Things season four, and that's a daunting task. Uh, so we have we have a lot. Um, Trent has been so kind to outline basically the entire plot of season four to us in these notes. So you can uh, you can bear with us as we you know try to work our way through this entire season. But uh, before we do that, let's just do non spoiler thoughts. Um, or hey, these can be, these can be spoiler, these can be spoiler thoughts as well, but just generally what worked for you or what didn't work for you about season four of stranger things? Well, I gotta say for my end, I feel like, uh, 
Stranger Things has both been praised and criticized up to this point, I think, for being sort of this uh, homage to, like, Stephen King and Steven Spielberg and all these various, you know, 80s touchstones. And I feel like for me personally, season four was the first season where I'm like, no, the world building and the, the technical craft of the Duffers and the other directors here have really reached a point where the show finally stands on its own legs, aside from being just like fan service to the 80s, whatever that means. Um, so I was really impressed with the, the step up in directing for the Duffer brothers. The, there's some camera transitions in this season that I thought were just insane. Um um, the, the actors are so confident in their roles at this point. Um, Sadie Sink, we'll talk about, I feel like in depth, really is like the MVP of the season. If I had to pick one person, she just did a tremendous job. Um, in terms of negatives, I feel like the show had a stronger sense of what it wanted to do with some characters than others. There's a couple characters that I'm like, you're sort of doing nothing this season. You're in a holding pattern till the final confrontation in season five. Um, and we'll talk about those people, cough, cough, Jonathan, uh, later on. Um, um, but, but yeah, overall really strong season of television and much stronger than season three, which I was not the biggest fan of, uh, to be honest. So, (laughs) well, Jonathan is surely coughing. Um, but (laughs) yeah, so that's interesting that you pose that last point. Um, let me talk about the positives first. Uh, number one performances, um across the board fantastic i especially am glad with how they basically made it a return to form for david harbour's character for hopper because trent uh, you and i have talked in the past about how in season three i mean i was the cartoonification of his character and his just like overt just emotional infantile nature was very bothersome for me uh, and mm-hmm. very caricaturish to the point that it just like it, it was like nails on a chalkboard um like you said sadie sink incredible uh newcomer joseph quinn fantastic um and his moment in the last episode of quick side side note did you guys know that when i was like 11 or 12 i had a brief but very intense metallica phase no i, I did, did not, not know but... that well i did and so <laughs> When he starts strumming Master of Puppets, my soul left my body. Like, I was, like, like goosebumps. Like, I couldn't, like, I almost cried. And my wife is looking at me as if I'm about to start, you know, convulsing. Like, I'm just, <laughs> she's very concerned. But I was in utter nirvana. Um, and I think this season had a lot of great moments. I think it had a lot of really memorable set pieces. Uh, between you know that master of puppets scene to a late season uh, showdown involving a helicopter um, to a few others uh, to basically the entire episode for Dear Billy is a master class in television. Mm-hmm. Really um, a lot of great spikes. That said, this for me is easily the weakest season of the show. Um, Ooh! Wow! I I think. Wow. The fact that it has a bunch of those strong moments is it doesn't make up for the fact that those moments aren't connected nearly as compellingly as they could be. Um, Everything that happens between the highlights, I think, is very forgettable, I think, is given kind of like the baseline, you know, kind of like you were saying with some of the character arcs, Trent, like I think like some of the story arcs were not necessarily drawn out as creatively as they could have been. Um, I was pretty bored, honestly, anytime they went to Russia, anytime they went to 
even Eleven and the Nina Project, uh, which we'll get to later, I was just not a fan of. Everything in Hawkins in California was like really the driving force for me. And especially to give us episodes that were at times 90 minutes, at times 150 minutes. Like, that really makes the lack of cohesion pronounced for me. And that was very difficult for me to grapple with. Um, I will also say, like, the that contrast with, say, season three, which is a relatively tight eight episodes, uh, makes it even more pronounced. Because I don't know the last time you guys watched season three of Stranger Things, but I actually rewatched it a few weeks ago. And Hopper, performance aside, that season freaking rips. Like, it is, like... Okay. All killer, no filler. Like, like a lot of great stuff happening in a pretty short amount of time. Um, I know that that is probably not the most popular opinion. But, I don't know. I was relatively lukewarm on this season. That said, I still enjoyed it. Like, I still, like, in a vacuum, thought it was very good. I just expected more from what I had seen from the show before. But I have high hopes for the final season. Man, I wasn't ready for this. So, I feel like I am... I'm in both of your camps somehow. I agree with John that season three is one of... I loved season three. And I, to me, up until this season, I thought it was the best. Um, I'm going to say that I think season four of Stranger Things is the best season that the show has done. And so I, I, I know, I know, we got a little, little opposites right here so far. So I, so to me, I'll... The the um the biggest negative I think of season four to me was the length of it. Uh that's why it took me so long to catch up with everybody because I'm like I alright, I wanna watch Stranger Things. I have to carve an hour and a half out of my night. Do I have time for that tonight? No, I don't. I guess I'll wait till the weekend. So it was like I mean like I that I just like that's how it took me so long to get there. And I do think that uh, to John's point, there was a lot of stuff that could have been cut out or done differently because um, it, cre- it it did create a little bit of a roller coaster effect where there were really high highs and then really stagnant periods of, of time in the show. With that being said, I felt like the highs in this season are the highest that the show's ever reached. And I, I just... And that's... And, and, and maybe that's a little bit of recency bias. I'll be honest that I haven't rewatched any of the previous seasons. Uh, I've never rewatched season three, and I haven't rewatched season one or two since probably we were in college. So, I uh, it's been it like the the memory's a little bit hazy with some of the previous seasons, but still, the world building in this season is top notch, and I had no and I think probably it's because my expectation for the stranger things world building was pretty low. I didn't, I didn't really expect them to, uh, because they hadn't up to this point, spend a lot of time building out the upside down and, and what a potential villain in the upside down would look like. And the backstory they give to Vecna and to the upside down. in this season was just like some of the best storytelling I've seen in fandom in quite a while, to be honest and freaking awesome it, it just like yeah blew my mind completely had me rat but especially once we got to that point like i was completely wrapped wrapped around stranger things finger i just like it could do whatever it wanted the rest of the way and i felt like the the second part uh 
was incredible. I actually think the penultimate episode uh, might have been my favorite. I loved episode eight um, or or nine, whatever, whichever one it was, and uh, the one where we get the the fight with the helicopter at the end. That that uh, there's some parallels I want to make later with that with with some of that story that I just really connected with. So yeah, I I think it was a great time. I think it was an absolutely great time. How how do you think it? So we already talked a little bit about it. How do we think it compares to the to the other seasons? I know John said it's the worst. I said it's the best. Trent, where are you where are you sitting with it? For for me, it's definitely three is my least favorite of the whole series. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. So so it's definitely better than three. It's and it's definitely not better than one. Um, and then I don't know if it's better than two or not. So so it's definitely second or third place okay. for me. Um. Um. Yeah, I like like what you're saying, Josh. The individual moments are like the highest the show's ever done. Although I sort of agree with you, John, where it's just like there is so much stuff that could have been tighter. That the more and more I sit with it now, especially that we're a month out, I'm just like, eh. Like, did they really do as tight of a story as they could do? No. Um. So so, so yeah, definitely not the best, but definitely not the worst for me. Sort of right in the middle with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I hope that people don't hear this and think that I'm you know kind of like one of the people that thought that the Irishman was too long and is just like not willing to sit. <laughs> With a story for a long time. I will watch, you know, a freaking 10-hour movie if you make it, if you, like, have a purpose for it being that long. And I will sit with the show as long as this season, if you give it a purpose for being that long. I just don't think it necessarily had a purpose for being that way. Uh, That said, I mean, already made my stance on where it stands in the season. I still think my ranking is still, like, one is the best. It's the purest. It's, like, Mm -hmm. just comes out of the gate guns blazing. I like three, probably second, and then two after that. Um, but they'll they'll change. I mean, like, yeah. they'll change if I'm having a good day or a bad day. It just depends. Yeah. Like, I, I love this entire show as a whole, so. Yeah, I that and that's the thing. Our, you know, our feelings are going to change over time about this. I, I, if I had to rank them since you guys did, I would probably, again, I'm, I'm putting four number one, uh, in my opinion, right now. Season one, right behind it, maybe, maybe tied with it. Season season three after that, and then season two last. I think I, I think I think about season two the least of of all the seasons. Like when we when we got flashbacks from season two and this season, I was like, oh my god, wait, what? I I forgot about like forgot about um, Owens. I, I like I, I forgot I forgot about him. I forgot about a lot from season two and uh it's, it says a it says a lot that mad said to me one day he's like it says a lot that a show like stranger things can make me forget that carrie elways was in its second season yeah um, yeah i mean there's a there's a there's been so much and the other thing i think we forget like this show debuted in 2015 i think 2016 yeah. like it's been <coughs> they've told four seasons over the course of six or seven years which is like they've stretched it out i mean there's been a lot of gaps in time so um okay what um what we're gonna do now let's take a look just briefly at the different plot lines that were going on in this season of television so we had we had the hawkins crew which consisted of um of dustin and eddie new new character eddie monson uh robin steve nancy lucas max uh, and they kind of become this ragtag team and Hawkins that are are focused on trying to figure out what's going on because more murders are popping up in Hawkins and causing openings into the upside down. Um, 
and they believe it has to be behind this figure Vecna. Uh, that they they named this figure Vecna because of the Dungeons and Dragons game. We have that plot line. We have uh, Eleven in the Nina project for most of the season. Uh, <clears throat> even though even though Eleven starts out in California, most of the season she is in a bunker in the desert being tested by Dr. Brenner, who we find out is alive, um, as they try to regain her powers uh, in this little bunker-slash-flotation device called the Nina Project. Another plot line is, uh, is, is what's going on in Russia. Uh, we find out Hopper is alive, and that he makes contact with Joyce, and eventually Murray as well early in the season. And Joyce and Murray then fly out uh, to Russia to rescue him. And then we have the California gang. We've got, uh, we've got Mike goes to visit Will and Eleven and, and Jonathan and the buyers out in California for spring break. Uh, we meet Jonathan's friend Argyle. Uh, another, My dude. another new addition who I love. Um, and... We probably spend the least amount of time with these characters, but they do come in very... They, they they are very important to the overall story, especially towards the end. They have a lot more to do in assisting Eleven uh, when they reconnect later in the season. So, uh, out of those four, because at, in part two, everything kind of gets uh, mashed together. Out of those four, uh, what what worked the best and what uh were you were you not feeling as much with those plots uh for me it's the hawkins vecna stuff that's the winner hands down um a lot due to sadie sink who we all talked about i mean um by by the time we get to episode four dear billy like that that plot line's just like firing on all cylinders and i think that one there was the most justifications for grouping those specific characters together and it knew what the arc for each of those people were um and so I think that one just hummed pretty smoothly with very little interruptions for me the whole season. Uh, the thing I cared about the least, if I had to pick, is, is really the California section. I, I, I don't think, if I'm being honest, the show knew what it wanted to do with Will, Mike, or, um, um, gosh, Jonathan. And then it, it grouped all three of them together. Um, and so they just become this, this do-nothingness for me, and then they're sort of just this device that helps Eleven along for the final two episodes. Was not a big fan of what they did with them at all this season, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I'm completely on board on both fronts. Uh, the stuff in Hawkins, I mean, you love it for the same reason that everybody else in the world loves it. It just reminds you of being a kid. It reminds you of growing up. Um, whether or not you came up in the 80s like these characters did, I mean, like, you get to essentially watch these who were these adorable little preteens that you fell in love with six years ago, like turning into like the angsty 15 year olds that we all remember being. Um, and their, uh, their struggles are given pretty literal form in, in terms of like the, the battle that they have with Vecna, you know, you could very much interpret that as, you know, being a metaphor for kids battling with depression, anxiety, guilt, um, which I think, pretty much every teenager grapples with at some point or another. It's very relatable. Um, but then also that's where the most, the, your favorite characters all are. That's where Steve is. That's where Nancy is. Uh, that's where, you know, new guy Eddie is 
RIP to my dude. Mm. Um, and it's that's just the best part of it. And then exactly like Trent said, on the flip side, the California gang, you know, going into this season, those were the people that I cared about the least. And after this season, that really hasn't changed, which mm. is a bummer because I still love them. But, you know, if I'm going to spend a day with Dustin or spend a day with Mike, like, you know, Mike's <laughs> going to be. Mike's going to be watching Star Wars by himself. Sorry. Like, he's, <laughs> he's going to have to struggle without the, you know, the pleasure of my company. I, I'm, I'm with you. Haley's got some, some strong feelings about Mike. Um, we did a, for, just for fun, we did a uh, power rankings of all of the characters from season four. And just, we'll just say Mike was, Mike was very low, maybe last on her list. So, um, he is uh, what experts call a grade A douche canoe, but uh, <laughs> we're not going to get into that. That's uh, no. You I mean, nah. Go ahead, Trent. I I, I feel bad on one hand because Finn Wolfhard, I think, is a charismatic actor. I I think Mike is emblematic of this is what happens when you make a character's main character trait that they're in love with somebody who's more interesting than they are. Like that's his only attribute is he's in love hey, with eleven so and eleven. <laughs> And Eleven's just more powerful and interesting with or without him. Um, like, literally, I kid you not, like, when that Will moment comes up where he's like, you're the heart of the group, I literally, I literally like, turned to my friends and I was like, give me a break. Like, I was, <laughs> I was like, this is, like, get out of here. <laughs> it's like, have you met one Dustin Henderson? Have you- <laughs> yeah, or, or Steve Harrington or a Nancy, like, any of the... <laughs> The, at that moment, the whole Hawkins gang felt a disturbance in the force. They were like, he said, what now? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, hey, was, I mean, you're not wild. wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, poor Will. He's uh, he's got to grow a little bit. Uh, I um, yeah. To to I guess differentiate from what you guys are saying. I because I feel about the same. Um, I think I may have enjoyed Russia the least, to be honest. Uh, up until part two. Every time we went there, I just was like. Like I really thought, really thought Hopper was going to be set free at some point way earlier in the season, as opposed to the final episode, uh, which is what ended up happening. And this is to your point, John. Like they spent so long in the season, kind of doing nothing with with uh, not maybe not not so much with Hopper the character, but um, but with with his situation, with the plot of it all, like. It, it was kind of just like an endless loop of continuing to be in the same place that didn't pay off that well in my mind. Um, and yeah. No, go ahead, Trent. No, I I liked Russia, but I, I agree that it might be one of the wor- weirder and probably worst paced yeah. subplots. It became a shorthand between Emily Madden and I that like we would say, like, why are we still in Russia for like anything we were watching that was like poorly paced? We're like, we're still in Russia? <laughs> like, okay. Um no, I mean, honestly, the highlight of Russia for me is that one monologue David Harbour gives about, like, the Agent Orange stuff oh, and, yeah, like, yeah. how that affected his daughter and, like, how he's like, maybe this is a punishment I deserve. That's great. And my boy Murray, who people who are hardcore fans of the other guys know um, as the as the Arnold Palmer, Christineth husband, um, it was great to see him fully come onto the scene. Uh, but, but, yeah, Ru- Russia definitely had some some pacing issues. Yeah, that that uh, Agent Orange speech was amazing. That was one of my favorite moments of this sh- of this season by far. Yeah. So David Harbour is just a gem. Yeah. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, and that's the thing is, I love spending time with 
I mean, Hopper's maybe my favorite character in the show, and and so it, it, I love spending time with him. I wish he had a little bit more to do, but I think we'll get that at season five. And then the other thing I was gonna say is I really like, not at first, but at the more time we spent there, I really love the eleven Nina Project stuff. Uh, I if, not just to give us the backstory to the Upside Down, but for Eleven herself. Uh, at, at times, like, Eleven can seem just like, you know, the MacGuffin, so to speak, because she's got powers, and and there's not always a lot of dialogue or things going on in her life other than her being a powered individual. But I felt like they the, the stuff they explored with her in the season was was really fascinating to me and and taking her away from from the rest of the crew was a really smart idea uh in my opinion um which we could talk I agree. which we could talk about in a little bit more later um let's let's start out with the with the Hawkins crew um and, and dive a little bit deeper into that so um it all it all kicks off with Mike and Mike and Dustin they've joined the D&D club named Hellfire at uh, at, at the high school and it's led by new introduction into the fold, Eddie Munson. Um, we've already talked a little bit about it, but like, what what made Eddie such a great great addition to the show in, in this season? When when you get a monologue that you make a meal out of in your first scene, where like Eddie's just like running around this cafeteria, being like, "This is my year," and like he's intentionally trying to freak everybody out. And I'm like, oh, this this guy like understood the assignment day one he was on set. Um, I think that that scene alone, it's that scene and the scene with Chrissy in the woods that everyone's really been falling in love with over the last like three weeks, it feels like, um, where you get that great just him showboating in the cafeteria and then this really heartfelt scene where he like paid attention to a girl who thinks nobody's paying attention to her like deeper, um, you know, stuff going on. Um, I think it's those two scenes that really made Eddie the force he is to be, you know, on the internet now. Um, and especially his his grand exit after that amazing guitar solo. Oh, man. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, this was the first time that most people had seen Joseph Quinn. Definitely the first time I had seen him. And he comes in and says, I've arrived. Like, this show is mine. Like, and does such a great job on that opening monologue like you Trent does like you said Trent does such a great job with Chrissy in the woods um but you also like I mean it the first episode as a whole does a great job of introducing him as like the most lovable person in this world despite the fact that he is like like you know basically a stoner freak despite the fact that he's a drug dealer like you know does not make him a morally streamlined character but that makes him all the more interesting. And it was funny because I think given those first two scenes with him, uh, my wife and I were watching and even after the Chrissy scene, she was like, okay, he's, he's cute. He's fun. I'm not sure I'm fully sold on him, but it was at the very end of the episode where he's like freaked out in his uncle's trailer while Chrissy is uh, being attacked by Vecna and screams like what has now become a meme of like, Chrissy, I don't like this. Wake <laughs> up. Like he's just, it, it's exactly what the scene needed. It, stru it struck the tone of the show so perfectly. It struck a line between comedy and tragedy, like, pretty flawlessly. And then from that moment, you're sold. He's amazing. And the fact that he looks exactly like the guitarist from Metallica is just an extra thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, seriously, they, like, the, the look 
of Eddie just just fits the whole vibe of the season too, uh, which is which is pretty cool. We you just mentioned the scene at the at the end of the first episode where Chrissy dies and and this was probably the darkest season of Stranger Things that we've gotten, and it really started with a force when when they when they introduce how these characters are going to be killed the way Chrissy is killed by by Vegna basically just possessing their bodies and breaking them in half into pieces so i've heard it described as getting pretzeled oh god (laughs) (laughs) oh no oh well that's gonna be uh that's gonna be in my brain for a while so what what were y'all's reactions to the killings and the just overall dark nature of the this fourth season I'm a man who tries not to use bad words. Some bad <laughs> words may have been used when that first death scene happened because I just wasn't ready for that level of uh, carnage. So, so some things that I'm not going to repeat were definitely said by me, <laughs> that first death scene. It was just like, oh, 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 no, that's not good. Like, yeah. I uh, all, all I have to say is right after... Allie and I finished the first episode and that last shot of her eyes essentially getting squished into jelly, she made me turn on friends immediately <laughs> because because we needed a chaser. Um oh, yeah. and yeah, it doesn't get less disturbing as the episodes go on. So No, yeah. that that's the thing, is like you know a lot of shows that will put their most like outlandish stuff in the first episode. And uh Yeah, it did they didn't take their foot off the gas. Uh, from that point on, that it, it legitimately was because, like, I'm not a big horror. I'm not a big horror guy. Uh, Haley, Haley's not really a, into horror at all either. So we we are watching this unfold. Like, oh my gosh! And we had heard like it was like a little crazy to start, but I was still not ready for it. And so we like legit were like, are we gonna keep watching this? And then it was like, oh, but it was so good. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna muscle through these moments and like <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. Don't like I I'm I'm just glad there was only, you know, four deaths because uh if they if they had put any more in there, it was gonna be it's gonna be a tough time for your boy. Um All I'm saying is like you know, spoilers for the last episode, but one one of the most unrealistic moments in the whole season is when Max goes like ha- halfway through getting killed by Vecna, but then wakes up. And the fact that her reaction up until her quote-unquote death isn't just her screaming, my freaking arm! Like, right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like literally is... like arm dangling, ankle yeah. dangling. No, like, like completely just obliterated. Like, I don't know, man. That's, that's some next level stuff. It, it is. It's terrifying. I mean, they, and that's the thing. That's the, I, I. It worked to the show's advantage because if you're gonna like, they they took the plot in a more serious direction. So they're, I think, I think you kind of just felt it. It was all going to be more serious because of that. So I think it worked. I didn't enjoy it, but uh, it worked. Um, we, so so we learn that Vecna, who is uh. We we believe there might be a connection to this uh, Victor Creel, um, and this leads the group to you know do some digging. Uh, Nancy and Robin particularly uh, spend a lot of time researching, and they actually speak to Victor Creel himself. So 
uh, Victor Creel being the man whose family all died from what presumably we would understand as as Vecna possessing his family and killing them. Uh, there's a greater reveal later on we'll get to later when we talk about the Nina Project stuff, but um, there's just a whole there's a whole chase up to find this information. And with all these characters working together, we also learn that that Max is likely on Vecna's kill list. Um, and that creates a whole... And we actually see in episode 4, the episode that we referenced earlier, as being one of our favorites, we see Vecna bring her into the trance and almost kill her. Um, how, did, how did you feel about the Max uh, subplot of... We think that Vecna's going to kill her all season long, and we wait until the very end to get there. How, how, how did that work for you? Uh, yeah, it was it was so well done because I really I really thought when they were doing that slow mo run of hers at the end of episode four, I'm like, oh, she's going to about make it, and some piece of like space debris is going to like smush her, and she'll be dead. I thought they were really going to gut punch us right there. So the fact that they saved her there, and then you know we go all the way to the finale, and what happened happened. Um, was was such a great it's a, it's a way of like giving the audience what they wanted and then taking it away too. Um, and it, it's not an easy job for any actor, but especially Sadie Sink, still being as relatively young as she is. I, I'm sounding like a broken record, but she really did such a masterful job of somebody who like is feeling all this guilt and angst over Billy's death, and then sort of by the end of the season, just when she's starting to embrace the people around her and maybe start to forgive herself, she's still faced with, you know, this incredible threat. And I thought that that was all handled really beautifully. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like willingly offers herself up as bait essentially, um, which, you know, I think also kind of speaks to the level of guilt that she feels, which she speaks to in the finale where she really feels like a weight of remorse over her stepbrother's death in the prior season. Um, and that's obviously the main uh, emotion that's following her around that makes her vulnerable to Vecna in the first place. But, you know, she has a really complex arc over the course of the season where, like, she doesn't really get over that guilt. She doesn't come to necessarily accept it by the end. Um, she still, like, she basically uses it as leverage over Vecna, but, you know, when she gives that final monologue of, like, you know, talking to or about Billy and saying, like, she actually kind of wanted, wished that something would happen to him, you you kind of can tell she's telling the truth. Um, and that doesn't make her a great, a great person, obviously. Um, and I think that was something that was very brave on the part of the show. Um, and then, you know, you, we do get this cliffhanger of, like, you know, we'll talk about it later, but she ends up in a coma potentially brain dead um at the end of the season because of having been baited by vecna and you know it's kind of a brave thing to leave a character dangling and possibly never to return when they have that much unresolved tension and emotional weight behind them um we'll see if they like do bring her back in the next season because from 11 entering her mind at the very end of the final episode it outlook not so good but uh i don't know that that was an extremely complex part of the season easily the best character arc of the season and yeah sadie sink is going to be great i can't wait for she's going to be in a darren aronofsky movie later this year with brendan fraser and that is going to be i think it's going to be incredible but we'll see oh is that the whale yep 
Oh, okay. All right. I think she plays his daughter in that. So okay, yeah, I think so. Let's go, Sadie Sink. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. I'm Team Sadie Sink. She she was probably the best the best actor in this season. I, I mean, just incredible what what she was able to do. Um, the the I agreed. Her character arc was probably the the most compelling and the in the in the most well done. I'm just gonna go ahead and say, I I think she's I think she's alive. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not buying that she's dead. Um, yeah, she, she's not dead for sure. It's just, it's just what form of alive is she in? True, um, true. Yeah. Th- this, this leads into my theory about what the overall plot of season five is. So I'll save okay. that for a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm eager to hear it. Um, let's move on to, let's move on to one of our other plots, which is Eleven and the Nina Project. Um, we start out in Eleven is living in California with Joyce and Will and Jonathan following the events of season three. She's struggling with her grief over losing Hopper. She's going by Jane. Um, but the U.S. Army becomes convinced that she's responsible for all the killings that are happening back in Hawkins. And so um, out of a necessity to save her from literally the U.S. government, Dr. Owens, who we met in season two, um, finds Eleven and takes her to a secret facility designed to help her regain her powers to face Vecna. And that's where we find out Dr. Brenner still alive. And so this, uh, this plot is where Eleven does a lot of internal work and we get a lot of flashback sequences of her time in the Hawkins lab. And a major truth is revealed about how about literally the origin of the upside down we learn that the upside down was created when 11 tried to help henry creel the son of victor creel who we meet in the hawkins plot line henry creel who becomes a resident of the hawkins lab under dr brenner's testing henry creel becomes uh 11 is is 11 Henry Creel is one. He's the first DJ Khaled. <laughs> oh, I'm the only one. Da, da, da. Very sorry. All right. Now, oh man, did not expect a DJ Khaled reference in this. You, in this you episode. can you can kick me off the call. I deserve it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I no, love no. it. We need more, more DJ Khaled references. Um, another one. Another one. Yeah, yeah. I'll be waiting. Um, so we learned that one. Uh, is very powerful himself and is being controlled by Dr. Brenner with this little like inhibitor chip, like, like, uh, like clone trooper order 66 is what I'm thinking. Um, and 11 frees him only for him to go on and murder all of the children in the Hawkins lab. Something that 11 thought she was responsible for. This leads to a fight between them in the Hawkins lab that ends up with 11 sending him, Opening a portal to the Upside Down, sending him to the Upside Down, and we learn that one is Vecna. Henry Creel, a.k.a. one, a.k.a. Vecna. He is who is behind all of this. So, um, yeah, I went through a lot there, but give me your overall thoughts on this. Uh, we'll start with the big reveal about the origin of the Upside Down. How did you feel about how that played out, how they told that little bit of world building 
So I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit. I actually called in episode two or three that when he was just friendly, orderly, or whatever he is in the credits, uh, that that was actually one. I called Ooh, that part of it. Okay, like, Trey, go ahead. Instantly. I, I did not call the Creole connection or that he was Vecna, though, I will say. Um, and then shout out, since this is a fandom-based podcast played by uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer, who also was in the Twilight franchise and a brief cameo in Deathly House Part 1 as Grindelwald. So, um, so yeah, guy getting work in all these uh, fandom shows. Um, oh, shoot. No, I thought he did, I thought he did such a great job, uh, like... I was as soon as he's on screen, I'm like, this character is creepy. But you can also tell that he is like genuinely in his way trying to help Eleven along in her journey of you know self empowerment or whatever, however you want to describe it. Um, no, I thought I thought the the whole Eleven Nina stuff was very interesting. I thought it was a great way to give her sort of a variation on like the Goodwill Hunting moment, where like she has to basically learn that this isn't really any of her fault. This is all Dr. Brenner and his stuff. Um, so, so no, I really, I really liked the way all that stuff unfolded. I thought it was very smartly done by the Duffers. Yeah. And it manages to make what is basically a 10 minute exposition dump at the end of episode seven, like ridiculously compelling. Like you are locked in for the whole of like, you're not quite sure what's happening when Nancy falls into the void, when she's trying to exit the upside down through, uh, the gate in, um, uh, in the trailer park uh and you're just like what's happening is she about to get attacked but then basically she gets a whole primer on the background of vecna um you know as first henry creel then one then the orderly then vecna um and that takes a lot of just narration and a lot of kind of just expositional bs or what would be viewed as such in any other show but it somehow just makes it work, and I can't really put my finger on, like, why it's so compelling. But I think part of it is just because, you know, you don't see it coming. Like, I yeah. did not see it coming at all. Um, even though, like, I probably should have because, I mean, Jamie Campbell Bauer, anything that he's in, like, the minute he steps on screen, you're like, oh, that's a bad person. Like, <laughs> like he he does not look like a wholesome guy. God bless him. He's got, you know, such a unique face. It's probably hard to convince anyone that he is altruistic in any way just because he's got a very sinister visage uh but even so like i didn't quite see it taking the turn with his character that it did so i mean that was awesome again one of the best parts of the season one of the best like moments in the series uh so far which you know i agree the highs are as high as they've been in the whole show like a lot of a lot of really good spikes this season yeah i the build i think like I think it works because they built up to it. This this is to me where the the overall length of the show worked. They were they built up to this moment to cap off part one of the series in in a really smart way by giving us little crumbs from uh, Eleven's memory the whole time she's in the in the Nina project. And and I love a good flashback scene, man. Like like I I, I wish. Like I, I like I always kind of wish flashback scenes would be used more in and especially in fandom to to give us uh exposition or the background to characters that get introduced um kinda out of nowhere and that's how it was used here and it was done so so well and I think it I think it worked in the surprise because for me I I I was a little hesitant about him, but I did not think that uh that one or who whoever this kid is supposed to be when we first meet him 
was going to turn out to be the villain of of this whole thing. You know, I, I did not I did not get the sense that that there was going to be a dramatic turn where actually he's the he's the bad guy here. Um, and I think that's because they started planting the seeds of Brenner, um, and and Brenner's always been shady. Um, but they they in the flashbacks, I feel like they really play up that like don't trust Brenner no matter what he's telling you. I know he's telling you like right now in the present that he's, you know, he's alive and he's, he's here to help you, but like, don't trust him. And, and I think that was a, that was a good deflection away from one until the perfect moment. And so, um, and just the, I, I had always been so curious about the upside down and why, why is the upside down coming into interference with the real world? There's gotta be something behind this other than just coincidence. And we finally got, the the payoff to that and it, it worked really well for me because they could it could have not worked they could have like come up with a bs reason of just like the mind flayers in control and he just wants power but they gave us a really good reason for why this is all happening and and 11 the cause of it and i think that makes for such such a great story to tell in season five she's now like it's not it's not her fault but she did cause this whole thing to start. And so now can she be the one that finishes it? I, I love it for her character. Um, the implications that it means for her. Um, let's, let's wrap up. Let's wrap up these, uh, these, these final two plot lines. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of zoom through these. So we talked about maybe, maybe two of our lesser favorite ones, Russia Hopper is revealed to be alive in, in a Russian prison camp. Um, and there's a there's a guard, Dimitri, who's there helping him. Joyce and Murray, they find out he's alive, and they fly out to Russia, um, what they think is Alaska, um, or is it is it actually Alaska? I think they go to Alaska first uh, on a commercial airline, and then from there they team up with Yuri, who takes them into Russia. Yeah, I believe that's right. So this this Russia plotline, it, it basically finds. Uh, Yuri, who's supposed to be their connect, helping them, uh, betraying them, and and then Joyce, Murray, and Hopper together have to find a way to escape this Russian Russian prison camp. And while they're there, they find that the Russians are also holding tons of monsters from the Upside Down, uh, and they end up having to kill several Demogorgons. Um, but upon their upon their last time being there it seems that all of these creatures have gotten loose um so there is there is that little breadcrumb left uh and we'll get to <coughs> we'll get to more of that uh when we talk about part two the california gang this one's real simple it is literally just um in part one argyle jonathan will and Mike, all together, trying to locate Eleven. Um, we've talked a little bit about each of these parts already, but let's just let's just say, like, what did you enjoy the most about each of these each of these plots? Since we know these are kind of the ones um, we didn't. Yeah, enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I like I said before, I like everything with Murray and the Russia stuff. I like Dimitri as a brand new character. I think he brings a fun new dynamic to everything. Um, I love the Winona Ryder never doubts for a second that it's Hopper from the minute she receives the message. She's like, that's my boy. I'm going to go get him. Like, we're we're set. So that yeah. stuff's all great. Nope. Uh, the California stuff, oh, uh, gosh, let me find positives here. Um, <laughs> 
I, I got like I hate to be mean. I real, but I really didn't like this at all. I really didn't. Um, um, I, I like the only thing I really liked was was the speech between the conversation between Jonathan and Will, and that's the very end of the last episode of part two. That was that's, really that's good. the only. That's that's the only thing I cared about, yep. really. Yeah. Um, um, and and yeah, everything else was just was just fine and just needed to happen to move the story along for me, unfortunately. Yeah, that speech at the end almost made their respective character stagnancy that led up to it like worth it because really either of them only has one thing to do for the whole season. Like Jonathan is getting stoned with Argyle, which is entertaining enough, but you know is kind of a one note one trick pony. <laughs> Uh, after a while and then will of course is you know it's all but said out loud that he's struggling with his sexuality um and a crush on his best friend um which you know is the for one i will say uh noah schnapp plays incredibly um and he's i mean he's been fantastic throughout this show and i just wish they gave him more to do um than you know essentially just a romantic subplot he doesn't really play into the machinations of the story really at all which is a bummer because he's great. Um, and I love that character. I love both the characters. But their little exegesis of like, you know, coming together as brother and brother to like be each other's essentially emotional crutch, like while they're both really going through, you know, unique struggles of their own is really beautiful. And like something that I think we've all experienced in life, whether with an actual brother or just like a really close friend or a sister, like it's, it was relatable and it was really nice to watch. Um, and then in Russia, yeah, the introduction of Dimitri, he's great. Um, some of the action set pieces, really great. Kind of the uh, the oneer in which the Demogorgon is basically sicked on all the different Russian prisoners, and Hopper and Dimitri are the only two escape. Like that was a really cool set piece. Uh, the shootout at the California House in episode four, which is also kind of a one shot deal, oh, directed yeah. by um, Sean Levy, which was really awesome. Um, yeah, you know those. There were high points like that. Of course, Ar Argyle is just. I mean, one of my favorite lines of the whole season is "Try before you deny." Um, <laughs> yeah, which was just delivered perfectly. I can't remember <laughs> that actor's name, but he's been in like, um, like Book Smart, some other stuff. He's he's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, it was just kind of a lot of. You could tell it was a lot of filler and a lot of just very static storytelling to keep the other characters occupied while the more uh interesting plots happened with Eleven and the Hawkins gang. Yeah, I I agree. I, I I'm not going to repeat what y'all said, but I will say I think a slept on slept on segment of the of the season was um when Argyle, Jonathan, Will and Mike take their detour to visit Susie in Salt Lake in utah and i that that whole sequence where they're in Susie's house it was, was the last fantastic. uh jonathan and his crush and or i'm sorry argyle and his crush and then just just it was Susie's the last thing i was expecting to see when they were entering a home full of really strict mormons or at least so we've heard up until that point <laughs> and then they it's just pandemonium it's like if it's like summer camp without counselors <laughs> like you're i, I was completely taken yeah. aback but it was delightful yeah, like, the fact that one of the kids is directing, like, a hardcore, like, vampire film, and, like, the one sister's, like, dying in the background, yes, and she's like, blood, yes. blood! Basically a young Eli Roth <laughs> just behind the camera, and he's, like, yeah. and he's, like, seven. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fantastic. That, that, yeah, you're right, Josh. That, I'm glad you brought that up, because that, 
was one of the biggest, like, comedic moments for me for the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, alright, let's, let's, uh, go to part two, and, and there's a lot we could kind of go through here. Um, the Hawkins group, they determined that Fegna needs to open four gates, and they're gonna use Max as the fourth gate to open into the Upside Down. They're gonna use her as the bait that he wants to use to get there. Um... So we get a few different things. We get Robin, Steve, and Nancy going into the Upside Down to go take him down from the inside. Eleven learns of uh, the plan that the Hawkins group has has, uh, has cracked up, and we'll get to what she does, but she tries to escape the Nina Project, and we get this epic, I mean epic showdown in the desert between her and a helicopter and Dr. Brenner. And that's how episode eight ends. To me, that was one of the biggest, like, just one of the biggest moments in the entire series. When I think about Stranger Things now, I'm going to think about that scene. So, so what? How did y'all react to to the scene of Eleven taken down? Millie Bobby, Bobby Brown, she just yells better than like almost anyone, and so anytime she can do like a full Eleven exertion cry is like the best thing. Um, and the fact that it's a helicopter exploding behind her is just all the better. Um, no, that that's a great moment for her. And, that, like, it's a way for the Duffer brothers to answer the question of, like, are her powers really back, but also doing something really cinematic? It's like, yes, yeah, she threw down a helicopter. Her powers are back. Like, um... <laughs> In addition to the scream, uh, sh- nobody does a low-angle death glare like her, where basically whenever she's concentrating on her powers, like, she just, it marvelous, just such a great actress. But yeah, that scene was awesome. Um, really well paced, really epic. Uh, I think it might have some. The money spent on that scene might have something to do with uh, the Netflix stock drop, but uh, not gonna posit too much about that. Let's uh, let's let's move on to some other big things that happen in uh, in part two of this season. Um, we get. We get a unfortunate goodbye, a very sad goodbye to someone we just said hello to. We get some pretty awesome scenes before we get there, though. Um, Dustin and Eddie distract bat-like creatures guarding Vecna uh, so that it would free up Robin, Steve, and Nancy to take him down. <clears throat> and the way they do that, they find, they find out these bats are attracted to sound. And they happen to be operating out of Eddie's trailer in the Upside Down, which contains his guitar. And so Eddie, he straps on the guitar, hooks it up to the amplifier, and he goes to town on one of the greatest guitar solos recorded in human history, uh, playing to Metallica's Master of Puppets. I mean, guys, there's there's hardly any words I can put to this. How, How just amazing was the moment of that guitar solo? I mean, any time a non-musical movie or TV show can include a music moment, Trent's, Trent's a happy person. <laughs> uh, like, you know, 500 Days of Summer has an amazing musical number right in the middle of it for no reason. I love it. Um, and, and countless others that aren't coming to my brain right now. But just, so yeah, the fact that they just went into full metal concert music mode. Um, but but it makes sense, right? Like, Eddie, Eddie, his whole thing is, like, trying to figure out how to help in his way and not lose himself in the process. And so how is he going to help? Of course, it's going to be the greatest guitar solo of all time. 
Um, no, it, it's such a great character moment, and fan servicey moment, and just a bonkers thing that works. Um, I, I loved everything about it. I've watched that scene more than a few times, just on its own. Um, it's great. Couldn't he have just taken a boombox and placed it within safe distance of the trailer? Ah, <laughs> uh, John. But that would rob us of the drama. That's the the drama. I don't want, like, this moment gave me everything I've wanted in life. Like, I don't need a pony anymore. I just, I have this. <laughs> but Allie's very <laughs> relieved to hear this. Yes, but at the same time, just the practicality of it, I thought, was at a minimum. And I, and I hate to be that guy. I hate to be like the, the CinemaSins glasses are on. But it really, it, it played into a larger problem that I had with the season and really with the series to date, which is like, Eddie was unfortunately an obvious red shirt from the beginning like he was like you could kind of tell that they were setting us up to love him as much as we did so that we would have our emotional heartstrings pulled at the end when we inevitably lost him um and meanwhile to this point every major character in the series is unscathed um and i'm not saying i w i'm not saying i'm like some sadistic sob who wants to see people die just for the sake of it i i that's not what i'm here to say but i think the sense of stakes in this show are lower when basically these one season max two season characters like billy are basically picked to you know take the brunt of the violence in a show like this you know and when other characters quote unquote die we have it reversed really quickly. We had it reversed in season one with the disappearance of Eleven at the very end. We had it reversed at the end of season three with Hopper's uh, supposed uh, disintegration. Um, and then meanwhile, characters like Barb and Bob and Billy shouts to the bees. They suffer. Um, and it feels, it, it feels very low stakes and to an extent kind of cheap. And I were hope, and I was hoping that in as dark of a season as this, they would have taken steps beyond that. Uh, so I feel kind of robbed of like a true sense of emotional weight in this season for reasons like this. And also it, it just felt like there was a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of yada yada that that led, led to Eddie quote unquote having to die, which I don't think he did. Um, so that's my soapbox. Master of puppets is amazing. I, I miss, I miss Eddie. Anyway, yeah, I, I actually agree in 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 a way. I had, I had seen all these quotes from the Duffer Brothers, or at least like, at least like like movie industry sources, you know, tweeting about these quotes of like people are gonna die. There's gonna be a body count. They're kind of winking at like, we're gonna get some meaningful deaths in in season four. And I didn't want that, but like I was prepared for it. And then, yeah, it it just kind of feels like a, um, I would have loved to have Eddie still around and would have loved to see what it was like for them to actually kill off one of the main characters because it would have been a really, really bold move. Um, and like you said, John, they've done this before with minor characters. But all that being said, I don't care because that scene was great. So you know what? It is what it is. They gave us a pretty epic moment in the middle of all this thing so um it, it, it did i agree <clears throat> so 
tell me how you guys felt about the the fight scene that we get between Eleven and Vecna, because that's another huge part of the closing moments of this of this season. Is these two going at it basically inside of Max's mind? How 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 did y'all like how that was done? I, I I liked the moment where you know we get the mic drop of her like levitating him and then walking into the gym thing and it's like yes that's great but then she just like yeets him aside into the bleachers I'm like nah like <laughs> rip him apart stab him with some wood like do do anything else but just don't yeet him away into the bleachers like um, yeah, you gotta play smarter than uh, that. But, no but um no I mean th- that whole scene's great and I know there's a behind the scenes story where Jamie Campbell Bauer said he he terrified both. Millie Barry Brown and Sadie Sink so much they both cried on set like oh my gosh. The, the big day that he's like doing the final speech to like Eleven where he's like you will lose and all that stuff she started like actually crying um, and they had to like stop filming for a bit so so credit where credit's due um, that like the acting in that scene is, is top notch and might not be entirely acting um, but but I thought that was that was handled really well and I I was not expecting that the Max actually was going to get a pretzled as I guess <laughs> we're calling it now. Um, she got like um, half pretzled. She she did, it was like ninety six basically like I guess her brain was the only thing that didn't right. We we could say she got soft pretzled. <laughs> soft pretzled. Oh. oh man. She she didn't get the full mustard, but uh yeah she at least got the pretzel <laughs> process done. <laughs> nice. Oh that's good. She got soft pretzled. So that's another. So we, maybe we'll get to just the the how this whole thing wraps up, and then we can give we can maybe each just give like a closing thought. Um, a, Max gets soft pretzel. We're definitely trademarking that. Um, Eleven uh, tries to use her powers on Max, but is only able to bring her back to a comatose state. Vecna is alive, but severely injured and pissed off. And then everyone reunites in Hawkins. Hopper, Joyce, Murray, they're all back. Uh, reunited with the kids. And then Eleven comes, and so does Mike and Jonathan. Uh, they're all reunited all together. We're setting up for a love triangle between Jonathan, Nancy, and Steve in season four or in season five. We didn't even really get to talk too much about their the the Steve and Nancy budding reunion. Uh, but that was something I really enjoyed. Um, I'm about it. I'm about it too, man. I'm super about mm-hmm. it. Uh, in fact, Jonathan, just go smoke your weed with Argyle, man. Like, I'm sorry, but like you and you and Argyle have a good thing going. You guys are buddy buddy, and Nancy and Steve just trying to have six kids and go live their life. Let them live their dream. That's that's just my plea to them. Um, that's all Jonathan needs is just Argyle, Will, and a stash of Pineapple Express. He seemed pretty content with that. I'm not going to lie. He seemed pretty content with that. Okay, so season four is a wrap. Uh, We'll get to some of the things that me and Trent will get to some of the things we think season five could bring us. But, guys, give me just like a – if there's something you didn't get to hit on yet or just a closing thought you have on the season, this is your your opportunity. Go for it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think since you sort of brought it up, Josh, uh, we got to talk about Steve, Joe Keery. I mean – um, he, I thought he was great. Um, I mean, just him, him and Robin's full on like best friendship, just coming out of the gate, just them hanging out in a video store, just like trying to do life, um, bonding over their shared romantic woes. I thought was fantastic. Um, and, and they're, they're doing a nice 180 on like the bully Steve from season one, where in a way that feels earned, he gets that great little speech about like the bump on the head thing, which I thought was such a like cute little 
but also emotionally significant speech from him. Um, re- yeah, really, and really, we didn't talk about Robin too much either. But um, I know some people on the internet are haters. I liked klutzy, like awkward Robin. I know a lot of people were like, "This is dumb. It sets the character back." I'm here for it. Um, her and Nancy like hating each other and then becoming best friends by the end of the whole thing worked for me a hundred percent. No, I really liked what they did with the three, the three like older kids, if we're calling them that, um, this this season. Um, especially given Nancy the opportunity to at least try to do the death blow to Vecna was very sweet. Um, she she handled that shotgun like nobody's business. So props to her. Yeah, no, that was great. Their dynamic was great. Um, say on the same wavelength with you on Robin. Like, I mean, in the third season, she was obviously, you know, she was kind of you know yanking Steve's chain a lot of the time. She was busting his balls a lot. But I mean, in the ice cream shop at the mall she was kind of queen of the jungle she was top dog like she did her job best but throw her out into the real world of high school and teenage cliques it makes sense that she would you know maybe lose her footing a little bit um and you know just have struggles with her confidence but like you said trent her friendship with steve is just one of my favorite things in the show i would watch like a looped live stream of them working in the family video if i could just like while i do my while i do my job like just they have such a delightful chemistry between them shout out to maya hawk um and ultimately like i have very high hopes for how this show is going to round out we've got one more season left um and it's obviously going to be a big end game in terms of how this season left off basically you know hawkins turns is starting to turn into the upside down the biggest gate yet um it's gonna be all out war uh and i'm here for it i'm ready to watch it and uh i'm excited to see where they take it i think uh i think it's gonna end out well even though like i said this wasn't my favorite season of tv this was i think a very promising predecessor to what'll probably be a pretty epic end game so let's do it Let's do it. Yeah, I I'm so ready for season five. We're gonna have to wait two years for it, but that's all right. Um, <clears throat> I some some quick things I'll hit on. The I actually found the villain, the the lower scale villain in Hawkins of uh, Chrissy's boyfriend and uh, Jason. The, Jason, yes, and the basketball team uh, believing. Uh, him believing that there that everybody is in a cult and he's got to stop it and be this righteous warrior against evil really found that to be very believable and it worked really well for me um and and the fact that he even like comes in at the end and is and almost ruins everything was uh was i felt like a nice little twist too um i again am team steve and nancy through and through if they don't get together in season five i'm throwing hands um this is they the, they have paid off their potential relationship so well um and really taking them through the stages of you know just just all of these all of these kids individually they have taken through the stages of their life that they're actually in in real life uh in the show so well anytime we see a flashback of these kids in season one as as little middle schoolers it's just like oh my gosh like we we have been watching them grow up and and the thing is is that they've all grown up as characters in this world too which is just really fascinating maybe not all as well executed as 
you know, they're, they're, they're not all on the same page in terms of character growth. Some have gotten more attention than others. But for the most part, it's all really, really working well. Um, and we've got to see these kids grow up, which is ultimately what the show's about. It's about watching this little friend group grow up together as they take on these incredible challenges. And then, and then the last thing um, is Eleven's journey to me. Uh, this was her Luke Skywalker journey. And it's a twisted version of it because she goes to Dagobah to train under this twisted master, Dr. Brenner, in the Nina Project. Uh, and she's separated from her friends. And she has to make the decision. Is she going to stay or is she going to go help her friends? Which is literally Empire Strikes Back. And I just was watching it being like, this is this is awesome. This is so awesome. And And then she breaks out and we see her powers are back. And I feel like season five. Eleven is going to be that return of the return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker going into into Jabba's palace, and I'm just so excited because they've they've uh, I, Eleven hasn't always been. I mean, she's always been at the focal cent- central point of everything. She hasn't always been my favorite personally, but after this season, um, I, I I love what they've what they've done with her character, and I'm excited to see where she goes in season five. In Stranger Things' version of What If, they should really do an episode where Jason survives and becomes Joel Osteen. <laughs> Yo. No way. Oh, my gosh. This is... Uh, freak, freaking Netflix, if you're <laughs> listening, you need more subscribers. You uh, <laughs> Please make this happen. Oh, my gosh. That's great. That's incredible. Hey, everybody. Unfortunately, we ran into... Some recording errors at the end of this podcast and was not able to finish with our theorizing or some of our, you know, kind of other trivia questions that we had planned. So be on the lookout on the social media feed on Instagram. Uh, in particular, look out at the Stinger Pod. Again, you can you can follow us anywhere on on uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook right now. Um, but particularly look at Instagram and we'll, we'll get some of those questions up for, for everybody to, to get to interact with together about what you think is going to happen in the future and, and a few other fun scenarios as well. So that's it for our Stranger Things season four discussion. Thank you everybody at home for listening and we'll be back. So the next time you hear from us, we should be, we should be talking about Comic-Con yeah, I know we're a little bit behind on our schedule right now, but there's a lot of major, major Comic-Con news that we haven't been able to talk about yet. Marvel's panel was enormous, and we have so much to break down from that, including trailers to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. We also got a trailer f- from DC for Shazam and the Fear of the Gods. Um, there's some DC news that I'm sure we'll get to in that podcast as well as... Uh, Things aren't looking so good over there. But anyway, there is just a ton of Comic-Con news we can't wait to break down. And so so be on the lookout in the Stinger feed. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we should have some content coming on that to you soon. Again, thank you all for listening. Follow the Stinger on social media at the Stinger Pod and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.